I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you. Hi everyone, I'm Jason Ballara, and this is the Know Your Why podcast. Today I'm here with Mark Willis. Mark is a certified financial planner, a three-time number one best-selling author, and the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services. Uh, over the years, he's helped hundreds of clients take back control of their financial future, build businesses, and um, tax-proven financial solutions. Uh, Mark, I'm going I'm to stop there on the bio because I just want to say thank you, first of all, for, for coming on the show and, and taking the time out. I definitely do appreciate that. My pleasure. Thank you. And I would love it if you would just kind of give the listeners your your background, where, you know, where you came from, how you got to where you are now. And then, uh, you know, we, we sort of talked about some of the things we may touch on in the show. But but really, um, I want to start just by kind of introducing everyone to you. So So why don't you go ahead and tell us your story? Glad to. Yeah, it's been my honor over the last um, oh, over a decade now working with clients all around the country, really all over the world, helping people in uh, like real estate investors, business owners, even NFL Super Bowl champions. But Jason, most of the people I work with are just regular folks who want some more control over their finances. They want some more agency, certainty, assurance that their goals are going to actually be met. Uh, and we've seen over the last year or so that very few things are guaranteed in the financial world. Uh, in fact, I heard the other day someone in um, uh, a, a very high-profile, uh, literate, um, literate person saying, "Hey, there's just nowhere to hide. You just have to accept that you're going to lose money." And I just didn't like that idea. I didn't like this idea that we're sort of tennis balls floating down the gutter of life, and we just can't really do much about it. And just accept your bruises, accept your beatings, uh, and just carry on. No, I believe that, and I, I intend to to talk with you some today about certain ways that we can influence our financial environment, that we can swim upstream and take back control of our future. So that's what I get the privilege of working with clients on all day long. And uh, that's been my journey as well, taking back some more control of our finances. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, I think, um, and we'll we'll get into it too, but I think there's maybe two perspectives as far as that com as that comment goes is where you know you're gonna you're gonna have to accept that you're gonna lose some money and i think that there's you know sort of accepting that you're gonna lose some money if you're if you're trying to you know do things in business and and invest you know try to but what i think is important to understand and what what I, i'm excited to talk about today is is like those strategies that you mentioned that we can do to to have as much control about that because for the for the most part you know we're we're not probably not talking about Super Bowl champions and things like that. You're talking about the, the you know, sort of regular people like myself that are just, how can I make things better in my day-to-day -day and, and, and look at my future um, finances and, and, and sort of like get more in control of that. So um, I'm excited to, to go through that. Your, so you started what was your, I guess, what was your start in uh, as becoming a financial planner? What sort of, what was the motivation behind that? 
Well, I'm a certified financial planner today, but I certainly wasn't born one, not in the least. I didn't have a thing to do with money for many, many years into my young adulthood. Uh, and in fact, my first memories of money uh, were pretty funny. We don't have to go further unless you want to, but uh, it involved walking into a banker's office, handing them $50 in a paper bag with my with my mom as I'm trying to open up a checking account. And then uh, being a lot, um, not just a little, but a lot distrustful toward the bank. And I guess you could say I've kind of carried that skepticism into my adulthood. Uh, fast forward a number of years, and I was graduating from my college degree. My wife and I went to private school, and we graduated in 2008 with about $120,000 of student loan debt. And, you know, in today's dollars, that would be over 200 grand in terms of inflation. And we just did not have a plan. That was the worst part. We didn't have a plan for how we were going to pay all this off, Jason. It just sort of felt like we were um, shackled. And again, this was in the middle of the Great Recession. And we didn't have marketable degrees and we weren't hired yet. So we were really up a creek. And I remember working multiple jobs. One was a uh, for a CPA, which really got me interested in finance and personal finance. But I remember as I was getting, getting into the business with her and learning her, her strategies and what she was doing on the tax side, she would also do investments. And I would listen to those phone calls she would make to her investment clients. And she would say things that just were flabbergasting. You know, they were terrifying. She would say things like, I'm sorry, Mr. Client, I know you're 63 years old, but I just lost you half your life savings in the markets uh, and we can't do anything about it. So again, there's that word, you know, we couldn't do anything about it. You know, it's out of our control. And I just didn't like that. I I felt terrifying that I would ever have to make that call to somebody that, that, that through mismanagement or just lack of control that I would ruin someone's life. That would, that phone call changed that man's life, you know, for the rest of his life. Uh, and really it was the decisions of where to park the money before that phone call that really changed the life. And so I was on a hunt personally to one, pay off my debts and two, put my money in somewhere in something that I could know, understand, control, enjoy, and be certain was going to be there when I went to look for it. So I stumbled through the certified financial planner designation and loved every minute of it. Uh, got a real education on how money works. You know, I guess um, I would say I felt like, and a lot of my clients have told me they resonate with this, that, um, you know, as young adults, you sort of feel like this money thing is sort of a secret that the adults have kept from you for over 20 years. And now you've got to do something with it. It's almost like when you walk into a movie theater, like 45 minutes late, and you don't know what's going on. You don't know who the villain is, who the good guys are. You know, why is this person punching that person? Or why is that car blowing up or whatever it is, right? That we don't know the plot. We don't know the characters. We don't know where we fit into the story with money. And that causes stress. That causes anxiety. And that's where I began my journey and had to find the characters and the plot going through the CFP program of all things. Uh, and not everybody has years to go through the certified financial planner designation. So part of my service to our clients is to really try to bring, bring the money thing down the ladder, give you tax efficient, powerful, time-tested financial strategies that have nothing to do with who tweeted what or who's sneezing on who. Uh, we want to make sure that your financial plan is built rock solid with even uh, a contract built right in. Yeah. Yeah. Spoiler alert on that movie. The adults don't know either. Yeah, was, that's uh, right. <laughs> we, we think that that uh, there's that, that's, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's like, as a kid, you think 
oh well we you know we just we just what I heard a lot is we just can't afford that and so it's kind of like that you you have this this lens of money and everything and and then I thought you know someday that would somehow be revealed to me someone would figure you know tell me the secret behind all this and what I have now learned is that most most adults don't know either that they don't have financial literacy and they don't know what to do as it's not it's not anybody's fault it's like we like literally nobody teaches you this and you don't know what to do once you have money or if you don't have money like people don't know how to handle those things um you I do want to touch on this you know and, and you you sort of mentioned that the student debt that you came out with here and, and needing to figure that out and so um certainly uh as as we sort of talked a little bit about before recording you know that that's something that in in the veterinary community, which I'm a part of, is is a big deal. Um, I mentioned to you, you know, I have I have friends that have, you know, finished their their schooling, maybe it's specialty training. They're coming out now. They're having to start to pay their student loans. They might have three hundred thousand dollars in school in student debt, and you know, it, it's costing them thousands of dollars a month, and that's that's a big thing when you're, especially when you're just starting your career. It's a big thing at, at any time. It's a large amount of money, but but especially when you're just starting this career. So I guess maybe let's start there, Mark, and just kind of talk about your thoughts on student debt and and, and how to handle that. And um, we'll kind of, you know, we'll, there, there's lots of, I have lots of questions for you. So maybe that's just a good starting point. Well, yes. And I'll even um, give you a spoiler alert to the sequel uh, as well, which is money managers don't know the characters in the play either. Mm -hmm. In fact, the vast majority of actively traded funds and even passive uh, index funds uh, underperform the prevailing market, even the ones that they're trying to say that they track. Yeah. And these are the people who are charging us fees to invest in their fund. And we still can't even keep up with the market. Yeah. Uh, and I just find that tra traumatic and ironic at the same time. Uh, so yes. So on the wall street accumulation speculation investment side, we're being hoodwinked is a very simple way to say all that. And we can go further down that road. I mean, the Department of Labor says that the fees on your investment portfolio over 35 year period will eat up 27% of your nest egg. That's almost a third of your life savings just gone to fees, mm -hmm. just for the privilege of underperforming the market. In fact, um, Dalbar, which is a third party research firm, they say that, uh, Again, over the last 30 years, which includes some pretty major bull markets, over the last 30 years, equity fund investors all in on the stock market did no better than 3.6%. 3.6%, yeah. Jason. Is that that's with or without terrible. the fees included? That's, that's including the fees. So after okay. fees, okay. but it's before taxes. Sure. Yep. So you got to reduce that further if we're going to be talking about a you know capital gains or worse, an IRA or 401k. Why are we putting our money into something for all the risk and drama of the market for the last 30 years? Is it an acceptable rate of return to get 3.6? And folks say, well, I'm doing better than 3.6. I would probably push back on that some. And here's why. Mm -hmm. Your statement on your 401k might say you're getting 8%, 10%, whatever. One, that's a year to date. And one year does not equal 30 years. Right. And two... They're allowed to advertise average returns, not real returns. So there's a difference between an average rate of return and the internal rate of return, 
without getting too wonky here, let me kind of explain it with a quick math example. Then I'm going to go way back to your question, Jason, on student loans, but we got to finish this part first, man, because yeah. I'm on my soapbox and I'll get off quick. This, no, so, I, this is a soapbox I have I have a, a stood on as well in, in, oh, good. <laughs> in the sense of, yeah, if, if, you're, if your financial planner is only putting your money in the stock market, you don't have a financial planner. That's right. Yeah. I mean, sure. It's um, it's fine for part of your money, especially money you can afford to lose or wait a long time to get back. But here's the thing. Let's say that you invested $10,000 into a little box that uh, gave you a 100% rate of return in the first year. Whether it's the stock market or real estate, it doesn't matter. We're just talking about what is an average rate of return and why is that a myth? So again, they're allowed to advertise average returns on your 401ks and your IRAs and all that. So you put in 10 grand, it goes up 100%. That's 20 grand at the end of the year, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're starting with 20 grand. We go back to this little box that's given us this wonderful return. We put the 20 grand in and we lose half of our money, negative 50%. Ouch. Those years happen. We've seen it happen several times since the year 2000 even. So now we're 20 grand has cut down to 10,000 bucks. We started with 10, went up to 20, back down to 10. Jason, do you feel any wealthier after these two years? No, no. No. But our mutual fund is allowed to advertise that they gave you an average rate of return of 25%. Or 20, yeah, right. Yeah. Crazy, right? Yeah. But you've, you actually have a real return, internal rate of return, compound annual growth rate, whatever. You can look this up in various ways, but the real return was zero. I don't care what my average rate of return was. I cannot spend an average rate of return at the grocery store, okay? I want what is my real increase of wealth? And not just paper changes. I want real wealth accumulation that cannot be taken away from me. That's that's real wealth. And it's it's sorely lacking in most people's financial lives. All their money is either in their equities, their 401ks, their IRAs, that kind of stuff, or their home values, which... You know, nothing guaranteed about those either. So, all right, we can get off our soapbox unless you have more to say, my friend, but um, we can go down uh, the student loan I conversation. Think, I think you well. said it very well. You described it very well. And and, and in your example, I guess I, I do what that doesn't account for the fees, right? So right, yeah. <laughs> you, you're back to what you put in there, but you're actually a little bit less than that because you paid them 2% or whatever to make your money stay the same. So yeah, it's it's uh, so true. something to, to, to think about it. Again, I'm, I have money in stocks. Mm -hmm. Me <laughs> they're too. Not, they're not doing well now, but that's that's just the market in general. So it, that's fine. It's just you have to be aware of what's actually happening. So, yeah. All right, we can well, we'll, we'll, well said, we'll man. Jump off the soap, soapbox. <laughs> well, hey, you know, I, I think that's great, and uh, I, I think the the conversation around debt is similar because, and it's related. Here's why: it's all one wallet. You know, your rate of return in your market portfolio is impacted by your negative rate of return on your debts. Uh, had a, actually, it was a doctor who was making very good income uh, and he was very proud of his rate of return in his 401k. Uh, actually, it was a, um, what was it, a 403b through the hospital, but it's a similar mm -hmm. product to the 401k. Yep. So he was doing very well, getting like 12% for the last year or two. He was happy with that. Uh, and we got into a financial conversation. I always do this with everybody. I sit down and listen carefully to what their goals are, where their money is today, how they're doing, looking at their account statements. And we're just having this conversation, he and I. And we saw his nice 401k. He's very proud of that. And then he showed me all of his debts. He had some pretty mega student loans from medical school. He had uh, two cars, 
had two houses, a boat, um, and I think he had like something else, a vacation home. Anyway, the his total volume of interest was over 30% of his income. So the volume of interest, that's he had all low interest rates. And and you know, as a medical professional, it's not the rate that they inject you with, you know, the vaccine or whatever it is, you know, the medicine. Um, it's not the rate that goes into my arm that matters. It's the volume that either saves me or kills me, right? You need to get the right amount of volume for me to, you know, be saved from the medicine or whatever. Okay, so this guy had 30% of his after-tax money going to service the debt, not pay it down, just to service it. But he was so proud of his 12% pre-tax in his 401k. So it's all one wallet. It's, I guess, the moral of that story. He was swimming hard as he could against the, the currents of market fluctuations, but he was going in the wrong direction because of the environment in which his money lives. And this is actually one of the biggest aha moments I have um, I had as I was getting into money myself, which is your money lives in an environment. Uh, in fact, airplanes fly through an environment all the time. And uh, pilots understand this. They know that their airplane might be able to fly. Let's say it's a small plane. It can do 100 miles an hour. But headwinds can push against your little airplane at, let's just say, 200 miles an hour and really strong winds up high. So even if you're pushing hard as you can, and you're really revving that engine. Maybe you could squeeze 110 miles an hour out of your little airplane engine, but it doesn't matter. That's like us trying to reach for riskier stocks or crypto or, you know, that C-class, you know, real estate in our portfolio. We can reach for yield, but if the, the environment of our banking and our debt and our student loans, if all that's pushing so hard against us, it does not matter how hard we rev that engine. We're going to be moving in the wrong direction as far as our financial life is concerned. And this is where a lot of people get caught. We over leverage in the good times and then the bottom falls out and we no longer have any like options to service the real master in our life, which is the Nell Nets and the Sally Mays and the mortgage companies and the car leasing companies and the banks, let's call them what they are. They're banksters. And the bank, honestly, is the one with the thermostat controlling the environment of our life. They're controlling the wind speed of our financial life. And our little airplane can only do so much. So we've got to find ways to either land our plane and stop that problem and wait it out, or the really good ones are able to find ways to turn that headwind of all that debt and interest and problems coming at you, turn that headwind into a tailwind. If we can find a way to actually use debt to our advantage, where we control the, the banking function, not some other banker, but if we could be our own source of financing and let the banks get fired in our financial life and become the banker ourselves, we could actually buy back all of our debts from our student loan companies from our mortgages, our car loans? What if you could be your own source of financing and actually control the environment in which your money lives? This is how I ended up paying off all my student loan debt. It's how we do a lot of our real estate investing. It's how we do most everything else with our money is becoming our own source of financing. And it changes everything in the way of just having more sense of control and peace of mind. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay, so how do you do that? How 
what steps would someone take who's you know because because it's true that you know everything you pointed to with that um that doctor that example like lifestyle creep people do it all the time i talk to i talk to friends all the time like especially since i've started really getting serious about investing and i'm talking to them about investing even passively and it's like oh they're like yeah that sounds like a great idea i just bought another horse or i just you know we just bought a car or whatever it is and it's so it's it's like how do you what steps do you do you suggest people take and and i think people have to understand there is going to be some level of short-term sacrifice to get your financial life kind of back on track in in term and I, sacrifice is probably the wrong word because in reality like you, you don't what we're talking about sacrificing is stuff right it's just it's more stuff and you can do without that for a little while to realize a comfortable life in the not too distant future you just got you just got to buckle down for for a little couple of years uh, but uh, i'm sort of throwing a lot of things out there but let's start with just kind of how how would you suggest someone do that and obviously every case is going to be a little bit different. That's true. Yeah. And we, again, sit down and have a conversation first before we make any recommendations. So this is just you and me chatting, of course, but uh, in our conversations with clients, we'd get down to the real particulars on exactly how, but there's tools that are practical, time-tested, reasonable. Um, you know, we've been talking quite, quite a bit of concept today, you know, concepts like rates of return and, you know, um, the problem of banking and airplanes and, but let's bring it way down the ladder. What are some practical tactical strategies that have been around for generations that real Americans, real Canadians, real, you know, people use, uh, to help them with their financial life. I've been impressed with of all things, a little known variation of whole life insurance as a means of being our own banker. Again, part of my journey was where do I put my money? where it's going to go somewhere where I can do something with it, that I have access to it, that I can control it. That's what I wanted. I wanted, I had a little wish list, actually. I said, I want my money to be safe. I want it to be accessible to me. I want it to have a good rate of return all the time, every year. I don't need it to be 30% a year. I just need it to be a good rate of return that was beating inflation and never wavered from that. I wanted it to be tax-free anytime I access the money. I want it to be private and off the radar of the IRS and my retirement years. I want it to be private and off the radar of people who might try to sue me for lot, for for real estate. You know, in, in the world of real estate investing, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when there's going to be that paper served. I, I hate to say it, but that's, that's the honest truth. Uh, and I wanted it to be something that I could leverage for other reasons in my life. And I wanted it to be something I could leave my family when I passed away. I wanted to think long enough into the future that it was going to impact multiple generations. You know, I agree with you, man. I think a lot of us, it's hard to kind of get over that initial buying of stuff. What's that Gloria Steinem quote? She says, uh, uh, um, rich people plan for four generations, but poor people plan for Saturday night. Yeah. So I wanted the, all those things. I wanted all the things that I just listed there. And as I was going through my CFP research, it was startling to me. It was kind of, it angered me actually, that of all things in the financial world, dividend paying whole life insurance designed for cash accumulation, not commissions, but the cash value did everything that I was looking for. So I'll, I'll quickly explain this. And I, I, we refer to this as bank on yourself designed whole life, but if it's designed properly, 
it'll grow on a guaranteed basis every year, regardless of market conditions. Even this year, as the markets are tumbling, as we're going through the very end of 2022, as we record this, it's still hitting all-time record highs for my policies this year and all of our clients. Uh, it's also not just guaranteed to grow, but they can throw dividends on top of that guarantee. And the insurance companies have paid a dividend without fail for over 100 years. So that's a nice track record of consistent profits. On top of that, I can access my cash in the policy and use it for anything I want. So I can use it to fix up my kitchen or a rental property's kitchen. I can use it to send my daughter to college or Disney World. I can do whatever I want with the money. It's my cash. Third, if I designed it correctly, it'll be tax-free when I get the money out, both this year, next year, and future years in retirement. And it doesn't even impact my social security calculation. So that's pretty awesome. The fees on insurance, the way we design it, are about one-tenth as much as what you might get with a typical AUM, asset center management fee, uh, on your 401ks or IRAs. So one-tenth as much. So that's 90% more efficient. And then uh, my favorite part for real estate investing is that if I've got a big bucket of money in my policy, I can actually use it as collateral, borrowing against that cash value from the life insurance company, and then invest that money in my real estate or whatever investment I want. And the policy will continue to grow and compound on the entire cash value, even the amount that I had borrowed to go invest. So if I had a hundred grand of cash value, and let's say I borrowed out 80 grand to go buy a fixer upper kind of house, my policy will still grow and compound on the full $100,000 as if I hadn't touched a dime of the cash. And then I'm in control, complete control of how and when I repay that loan to the policy that I own. And if I want to take a year, I'll take a year. If I want to take 10 years, I'll take 10 years. If I never pay off the loan, I just pass away and the loan is deducted from my death benefit and my family gets to keep the rest and they get to keep the house that I bought with it with the money as well. So it's an incredibly powerful way to overcome opportunity cost. The problem with paying cash for things is that I'll never see that money, that, that money I spent on the coffee I spent money on yesterday or the house that I spent on uh, money on. Uh, I'll never see that money grow for me ever again. When I put money into one of these policies and then I borrow against it to pay cash for the real estate or the new car or whatever, the policy will continue to compound and grow even on the capital I borrowed. Jason, I can't find a better way to make major purchases. So I couldn't look away from this tool as uh, as a part of my overall financial plan. And it's served me well. It's served a lot of our clients as well. Perfect. Um, so I mentioned this before. We have talked a little bit about sort of that, that whole life insurance banking concept. Um, one of the things that I feel like often comes up, and for me, it has, I know other people have said sort of similar things, but it takes time to grow that cash value. It, it takes time to have the ability, or at least <laughs> my understanding is it takes time to, to, to grow that, you know, like if I wanted to invest in a property next month, it's, as far as I know, not really possible for me to fund a whole life insurance policy and then immediately go and take that, you know, out and, and use it. But maybe I'm wrong. I, I generally um, kind of wondering what your your thoughts are or, or you know, kind of conceptually how mm -hmm. that works and the, the timing. So just so people know, again, it's it maybe it maybe I'm wrong, but maybe it might take a little time to build that that value. 
Well, there is a reason why they call it your whole life policy. <laughs> um, but uh, no, you're 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 actually speaking to one type of design of whole life insurance. Now, I personally believe I'm going to need money next year too. Uh, and 10 years from now, I'm going to need even more money. And 30 years from now, I'm going to need, need even more money. So I want my policy to become more and more efficient every year for the rest of my life. The policy is least efficient in its first few years. This is the exact opposite of my cars, which get worse and worse gas mileage the longer I keep them. This thing gets more and more efficient every year for the rest of my life. That's That doesn't happen in, in nature very often. Um, so I love that my policy is most efficient the longer I keep it. In fact, um, most of my policies are like that. Now, I'll tell you a quick story. There was a 40-year-old. He had a large chunk of money. He had just sold a house. He put $400,000 into his whole life policy. That's how much he had. Now, you could dither with me on the numbers. You could cut a zero off that. You could add a zero onto that. But let's just kind of use that real example here for a minute. I'm looking at the numbers. So this is a, a guy, 40 years old, good health, decent health. And um, he puts in $400,000. And that is the only time he ever funds this policy. It's one shot. Drop it in, 400 grand, and it's fully funded. In the first year, within 30 days of starting his policy, he's got about 378000 bucks. Liquid, accessible. Now, could you do anything in real estate with $378,000? I mean, yeah. So he, he borrowed against it. He borrowed a $360,000 loan from his policy that he had complete access to and control over. He did not have um, a plan to pay it back right away. It was going into a multifamily syndication, actually. And his plan now is to repay that in the eighth year when the syndication is done. So he's going to just wait eight years, not pay on it. But remember, the policy continues to grow and compound even while he has that loan outstanding. So now we fast forward. I'm looking at his numbers here. And in year eight, he pays off the loan. Now, two things happened. One, loans on policies have interest that are charged to them. So this is a real loan and there's real interest to be paid. And this guy's going to pay in the eighth year, he's going to pay $54,000 uh, on the interest above and beyond the 360 of loan principal. So far, is all this making sense, yeah. Jason? Yeah. Okay. So 54 grand, why the heck would he do this? Why wouldn't he just pay, you know, money from a savings account to go invest or whatever? Why would he knowingly and willingly pay interest? Now, by the way, that 54,000 spread out over the term of the loan is only 2.1% APR. So pretty good deal for accessing money, financing cash, that sort of thing. 2.1% annual percentage rate. But the real juice in this for me is that his policy growth, again, he didn't put a penny more into this policy. He dumped in the 400 grand, but the 400 grand grew to $507,000. Even though he had borrowed against it, almost all that money had been borrowed out. His 400 went up to 507,000 of cash value. Not to mention he has a giant death benefit associated with that too. So 400 to 507 is $107,000 of gains. But he only paid 54,000 of interest to borrow the money. So this is a positive spread called arbitrage of 53,000 bucks roughly. That's a pretty good way to buy a piece of real estate because his real estate was still doing what it was doing over here, giving him the tax advantages, the cash flow, the distributions. And meanwhile, his policy gave him a 
a positive arbitrage of 53,000 bucks more than, you know, and, and if he had not borrowed the money out, it would have grown to 507,000 anyway. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, that's actually a great example and sort of explaining how it all works. And, and that's sort of one of the, the concepts, you know, going back a little bit on, on, um, student, student debt, or I guess you could say any debt, but basically finding the investment vehicle that allows you to, you know, sort of do that arbitrage, find essentially finding something that's going to pay you a higher rate of return than what you're actually paying in interest or whatever it is. So it, let, letting those assets, whether it's in the whole life insurance policy or, I mean, and, and using the whole life insurance policy in a real estate investment, now you're essentially doubling your returns because what you you didn't mention in this example is how much he made on that investment outside of this, what was in the um, whole life insurance policy. So you're, he's able to sort of use that arbitrage, make the extra 54,000 or 53,000 within the policy, and then also whatever he made in that syndication. And so it, it's kind of, you're, you're, you're almost able to, you know, sort of double dip if you will. So that, so that's, that's a great example. And, and, you know, that, that, having some capital event like that, selling your house, whether it's selling your house or maybe uh, I would think like a inheritance and any of those things can help set you up for that same scenario that you're, that you're talking about. Is that, is that kind of how you're, what you're suggesting? Yeah. A lot of folks, it's all sorts of things. Some people get a annual tax refund that they just squander at Best Buy and they can put that into their policy instead. Other people, they get the bonus at the day job. You know, some people get that end of your, you know, business distribution, for example. Uh, other people, it's some brokerage money or some crypto that they sold. You know, there's lots of things that they might do. And you're exactly right. I mean, this is how exactly how I paid off all my student loans was using this policy. You know, why would I pay my student loans off? You and I both had pretty low interest. So I wasn't, I wasn't thrilled with throwing money into a hole that I'd never see again, uh, just to get rid of the monthly payments. But um, I know today, as you and I were saying before we hit record, the student loan rates are in the 6, 6.8% is the government rate right now. Yeah. And some can be higher with private loans. And these balances, I met um, a, a couple, they're both doctors, their balance of student loans was over 700,000 yeah. bucks on 6.8%. That's a mega payment right there, 700 grand. Yeah. So what if these guys, they, what if they paid their minimums to the banksters? student loan companies, and they threw everything they could into a policy that they controlled. So instead of doing the snowball method of throwing all your money at the debt and losing all that money forever, what if you could pack that money, everything above the minimums into a policy and built up cash value from the very first month, the very first year, you're building significant equity in your policy. That's an asset that's going to grow for you forever. And then when you when your cash value reaches or equals your debt, you borrow against it one at a time to wipe out one of your, your debt accounts, your student loan accounts. We call this the debt snow bank method of paying off your debts. So borrowing from your policy to pay off your student loans still leaves you with the policy loan to pay off, but now you're the banker. Now you're in control. You have the environment around your airplane under control and you can repay that loan to your policy on your terms. And meanwhile, the policy is still growing for your retirement. Unlike 
maybe just paying the debts off the old fashioned way where you, you know, basically are saying sayonara, not just to the money you're giving to the student loans, which might be a couple hundred bucks a month, but what could that couple hundred a month grow to had you had it invested instead? Uh, so the opportunity cost can be saved if you follow a better path to paying off your debts. I know you teach some great strategies on paying off debts as well. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I think being able to kind of include the whole life insurance policy in that strategy, just again, it, it kind of supercharges the whole thing, but it's, I just know, you know, I know, I know a lot of people in, in the veterinary community, they get out, they have these student loans and they really kill themselves to work extra shifts, do all this stuff to pay, to pay off the student loans as fast as they can. But that's not really the most efficient use of their money. It's just, and that's, I think, you know, exactly what we're talking about here is there are ways to make that, uh, as you said, you, you pay the minimum and take all that extra money and get it into something that's actually going to benefit you both in terms of paying off that debt, but also in the long term. Right. Like, like what if you right. finish, you pay, you finish paying off your student debt and now, oh, by the way, also you have this big account or investment or whatever it is that continues to grow for the rest of your life. So it's just kind of um, realizing, I guess maybe it's just realizing what options are available to you and, and the time value of money and, and where that, where that all fits together. Beautiful. Yeah. I love it. Um, Mark, let's, uh, I, this stuff is is obviously very fascinating, and I, I think um, I I want to say one more thing about you know kind of the the financial planner thing that we touched on a little bit, and that you know someone not not uh, that's only putting you into stocks and the stock market is is not really creating a plan. They're just that's what they know how to do, and because I do have a lot of people that'll you know I've, I talk to them about real estate investing, and again I'm not telling people don't invest in stocks, but Hey, here are other options for you, whether it's real estate directly through a whole life insurance policy, whatever it is. But, but, you know, someone like yourself as a, as a certified financial planner, you are, you are offering your clients all of the options that are available. You're talking about things from, from many different angles and tailoring it to them. But so many people, you know, they, they, they get a, an account at, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, whatever it is. And then someone calls them from the bank and they're like, hi, I'm a financial planner. I'd like to help you because it looks like you make some money. And they then put their trust in that person. And I, they're just not realizing that that's, that person's doing their job, but that's they're not necessarily doing what's best for you and and providing you with a full uh, a full picture of what's available. So that's that's kind of what uh, why I'm really excited to have you on the show and, and, and what I aim to do, I guess, in terms of just, just letting people know what's actually out there. Cause, cause I didn't know I'm, I'm learning right along as well. So I think all of this stuff is, is very valuable information. Well, thank you. And and you're right. I think there's a, um, there is sort of the, you get the call, don't you? You get that call from the bank and, oh, wow, you, let me introduce you to my private client options and products. And let me give you a gold star for your great income that you've been putting into our bank accounts. What do you think they're doing with that money? You know, it's not like they're, they're not your teacher giving you that gold star. You know, when you put money into that bank account, savings account, do they just, uh, do they just marvel at what a great job you're doing? No, they don't. They loan that money out fast as they can. And they keep virtually none of it on reserve in case you need it. Uh, it used to be 10%. Now, since COVID, the reserve requirements are 0%. So you put 10 grand into a bank account 
they can loan 10 grand to the guy behind you in line. They can pay you 0.1% for your savings, and then they'll loan it to the guy behind you for 10% or 18% or whatever the, the rates are uh, for credit cards these days. Uh, so that to me doesn't exactly thrill me or inspire me to go work with those guys, but they make you feel so good when you get that call. Oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm the guy from the yeah. the private client yeah. reserve, you know, and yeah. okay, but you're fine. someone very, very special to that bank. And it's like, That's no, right. you're someone right. that but... makes some money and they want to use your money for their benefit. So it's, it's, mm -hmm. listen, we all, we use banks is fine. Like it, it, this isn't necessary, isn't to be, it isn't to bash on that's right. Other financial planners. It's not to bash on the bank specifically. This is like these are people's jobs. They're they're a part of our lives. But it's just so that you can, you know, the, the listener. What I want what I want people to take from this is is understanding there are options and they're they might be confusing for sure. They're confusing, and I'm understanding them because I've talked to <laughs> I do this podcast and I talk to people like yourself over and over again, and so it's 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 becoming more and more clear. But but the the reality is that the information is out there and there are people like Mark who can help you, um, you know, kind of establish a plan for yourself. So um, in in interest of time and not keeping you on here all day long, Mark, let's uh, let me switch gears. I want to get to the part of the show where I have to ask you the questions I ask every guest. Um, and the first one is, of course, uh, related to the name of the show being Know Your Why. But what is your why? What what kind of motivates you to to do what you do? I, I want to be the best example for my great, great grandchildren a hundred years from now to say, well, you know, that's the guy that helped change the family tree. I think that'd be a lot of fun. And, you know, I don't know if I could tell you my great, great grandparents' names without going through an old book or something. I want to know stories about them. I want to get to know them better. And uh, so my why is to change that for my great, great grandchildren. I want them to know the journey, the story, the struggle. Uh, and the the flaws in my life, you know, wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't that be cool to be able to say, hey, the, you know, there's that there's that Mark guy on the family tree. A long time ago, he he changed our family from, you know, a, a story of ignorance with money to a story of abundance, not just with money, but with all areas of life. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, a, establishing a legacy of of, you know, changing your own family, and then I'm quite certain you're also changing other families uh for the better in terms of those those same you know financial literacy oh process. absolutely it it actually is a it's a ripple effect you know the more you can pour into your own family and the the way of values and trust and the more it shows in the lives of your clients and those people you get to interact with and friends too yeah absolutely um Second question for you, Mark, tell us something about yourself that isn't common knowledge, something special skill, a hobby, anything you're comfortable sharing that, that maybe lets people know you a little better. Well, that's a good question. I've, I've always really loved long runs that get my head clear and the power of like getting that, that runner's high, man, I'm telling you, there's something beautiful about that. And I've been really trying my best to make that a part of my regular routine. And uh, so, yeah, if you're ever seen a, a bald guy out on the road um, here in the Chicagoland area, it might be me. There you go. There you go. What's your, uh, what type of, do you have certain distances or something that you're uh, shooting for? You're trying to run marathons or what, what's your, what's your focus? No, I've, uh, I've always found that, you know, I, I usually uh, have, have yet to commit to a full marathon. I'm, I'm more of a casual, get the head clear kind of runner, but you know, it can be anywhere from six to 10 miles when I'm out there doing my thing. 
still impressive. We're, we're uh, part of the reason I asked is we're um, a friend of mine runs a lot. I used to run a lot. I used to do marathons, but I, cool. I just, I, I never actually enjoyed running distances. I, I was always a, in college, like high school and college, I was a sprinter. I like, I like going fast. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like distance, but when you get old, then uh, nobody really cares to have <laughs> sprints for, for older guys. But um, a friend of mine is, he's runs a lot and he wants to do, there's a, um, a half marathon in Yosemite. So I may have to to get back to running a little bit so I can go do that with him, mostly just because I want to run through Yosemite. I think it'll be beautiful. That uh, sound beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. But if you can run 10 miles, you can run a half. That's mm-hmm. without Yeah, that. I've done a half before. It was the Bears ended in the Chicago Bears Stadium. That was a lot of fun. But uh cool. I just never have made it a um uh, like a, a thing to get to goals on distance. But yeah. I I probably just don't have the right like um goal setting mindset for it. It's mostly just been a mental thing for me to get out there and yeah. clear the head. That's yeah. I mean, I, I use exercise in general in the same way. So it's a way to, to clear your mind. Um, when people hear this and they want to reach out to you, what's the best way? Well, if you want to have a quick conversation about anything you've heard today, if you're looking at your account statements this year and you're sick and tired of seeing the ugly surprises, uh, I can help. You can reach me at kickstartwithmark.com. That's kickstartwithmark.com dot com and you'll find our podcast on there not your average financial podcast and a way to get in touch with me through our calendar link so that's kickstartwithmark.com awesome awesome final question mark what piece of advice and i'll sort of tailor it to your to your um profession but piece of advice you would give to someone who is they want to get their finances in order they want to start to you know kind of really get um some a little bit more financial literacy, you know, what, what would you tell them to kind of point them in the right direction and get them started? Wow. Well, I'll, I'll say, you know, don't let anyone else be your financial guru, not your, your investment guy or gal, not me, even you are your best financial planner. And the truth is everybody else has a financial plan for your money. And I mean that whether it's uh, one of the major wirehouses or financial firms, or it's somebody like, you know, Lexus or Gucci or or whatever. They, they all have a plan. Yeah. Apple, good night. Good night. They got a plan for your money. Yeah. Uh, so you better have a plan for your own money. Their plan they're is working take it. for them. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, fine for them, but let's not yeah. let them retire on your money. Uh, so be your own investment guru, be your own financial guru, and realize that um, you know, opportunity is often missed most because it's dressed in overla- overalls and looks like work. That's Thomas Edison. Uh, so just, you know, put in the work a little bit at a time, 15 minutes of learning every day. That's why it's so cool that you're listening to Jason's podcast and keep listening to it. Give him a five-star review for goodness sakes. He does a great job on this, but the main thing is just to continue to learn, continue to be a, um, uh, your own best friend when it comes to protecting and growing your knowledge and, and your, and your awareness of money. It's fantastic advice, isn't it? And and so important. Uh, something you know, your own fan. It's it's a thing that a lot of people just don't focus on. They're they're whatever it is. They're scared of it. They're nervous. They don't have time. Whatever whatever the reason is. But the, but the reality is, is is by not putting the focus there, you're costing yourself a lot of money. And I say that truly from personal experience. So, um, yeah, guys, I I appreciate you saying that, Mark. Um, but really. Uh, it's great to, to if you listen to the podcast, like, rate, and review. It allows us to have more great guests like Mark. So, um, Mark, thank you for coming on the show today. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Awesome. All right. Well, we will sign out. Have a great day, everyone. 
I'd like to show you why knowing your why is the start of your journey. Without a strong why, it can be so difficult to reach your maximum potential. My name is Dr. Jason Ballara, and every week I meet with real estate investors and mindset specialists that are taking action in order to build a life according to their own terms. We will break down what drives successful people and allows them to achieve at such a high level. If you are a professional wanting to break through, or simply someone that wants to hear an inspiring story, the Know Your Why podcast is made for you.